Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 22, volume 22, week 22, number fucking 22. Welcome to the show this week, guys. Big show, action-packed as it is every fucking week. Really excited for this show. We've got all the Mosh news, we've got some Mosh reviews, and our Mosh interview this week is with the man himself, the absolute legend, Sean of Make Them Suffer. So let's kick things off with the Mosh news. First thing up this week is we got a new song from A Virgin's Crown. It kind of came out of nowhere, kind of sideswiped us a bit. The song is called The Breeding Process, and at the moment, it appears to just be a standalone single. Apparently, Aversion's Crown are in the process of writing their fourth album, and they've kind of dropped this out of nowhere, not saying whether it's going to be part of the album or not, but just saying that they kind of have dropped this, there is an album in the process, so hopefully we have more information on albums soon. They are touring throughout Europe and US non-stop lately. Aversion's Crown have really gone from strength to strength overseas, which is great to see. And this song, fucking brutal. Aversion's Crown play a very technical deathcore, a very what they call alien core. Now, while I find deathcore overall kind of lackluster, boring and stale nowadays, Aversion's Crown seem to have their own twist on it and make it refreshing and exciting. And that song is sick as fuck. Now, if you want to hear that song, it is available online through all your streaming and downloading services. And we've also got it on our website and social medias. We also got this week a new music video from Madball called Rev Up. And it's from their upcoming album, For The Cause. Really good song, really good video. It's Madball doing what they do. That album we are reviewing later in the show. Uh, If you want to check out that music video, get on our website and social medias. Also this week, The Agony Scene unleashed a lyric video for their song, The Submissive, off their upcoming album out July 20th. Fucking sick song. Agony Scene are one of those bands that I loved the moment I caught them in the early 2000s. Every album they've released has absolutely stood the test of time for me. They're still on my phone today. I still listen to them regularly. That song got this very twisted, very dark tone. Agony Scene have always been a dark-toned band, but this one feels more menacing. Apparently, the lyrical content for this album is about the religious pressures and the religious force-fed society that we kind of abide by. And such a good song. Very excited for that album. And I will be speaking to the boys in one of the shows coming up. If you want to hear that song and any other details about that album, you can find it on our website and social medias. Devil Driver this week released another country music covers single and this song is a Johnny Cash song and it features Randy of Lamb of God. I don't know how I feel about this. It, I enjoyed it probably for the fact that it was just kind of a bit different. The fact that it was a country music song 
got me a little bit entertained. The fact that it was Des and Randy of Lamb of God may be entertained. The song, though, didn't really stick with me. Now, that album's coming out very soon. I'm going to be very interested to see how it goes. I'm wondering if it's going to turn into a bit like the Burn the Priest covers album. I wonder if it's going to have longevity, and I do wonder if it really is as strong as the Burn the Priest covers album. If you want to have a squeeze at that single or the previous single they released, you can find them on our website and social medias. We also got a new song from the boys from Impending Doom. The song is called War Music and it's off their new album which comes out next week. Now this is Impending Doom as Impending Doom do. It's breakdown, it's atmospheric, it's very angry. It is also Christian. I mean you can kind of see the message that's being betrayed through here. It's very entertaining though. I'm not sure if it's a repeated listen for me. It kind of, once I'd heard it a few times, it was kind of enough. But there is a market for Impending Doom. I have liked them in the past. I really enjoyed them in the past for a period there. I will be excited to review that album next week. Check out that song and their other songs they've released off this album on our website and social medias. There was a bit of big news from the Australian scene this week. Following on from Alpha Wolf's announcement of a new lineup last week, they unveiled a new music video for a new song called Black Mamba. And fuck, this is Alpha Wolf. I mean, if you are not quite into Alpha Wolf yet, I think this is a place to start. They're a band that I can't highly recommend enough. They do this metalcore sound that's a bit new metal, that's a bit post-hardcore that's a bit deathcore there's so much going on here and it's so entertaining the dynamics that this band shift and play with is refreshing there's a lot of bands going around internationally but especially in Australia that try to incorporate this new metal sound and it often feels like they fail at doing it Alpha Wolf make it their own and Alpha Wolf are definitely blazing the trail to be able to recover from all the issues they had bring in new members, and it feels like a seamless transition. This is a really good song, really good music video. And, of course, make sure you're following those guys on social medias because they've got some shows coming up. They're touring with Thy Art and Antagonist AD through regional cities, but they're also doing a launch show for the single in Melbourne. If you want all those details, get on their websites and social medias. If you want to check out this music video, for Black Mamba, make sure you get on our website and social medias. We also had in the Australian scene a new song from Melbourne Guys Advocates. The song is called Detachment. Now, this song is their newest single. It's, we're not sure if it's going to be on their new EP or new album, but do have a feeling it is going to appear there. Advocates are one of those bands that have always tilted on the edge of breaking through. I think with this song, they're going to get a bit more attention, and I think it is time for Advocates to break through to that next stage of local bands that are a bit bigger than just being support acts. Advocates play a lot of shows. They're a hard-working band, so this song, Detachment, 
is vicious, it's emotional, it's heavy, and it's what you expect. I really enjoyed it, and I'm really tipping a big year for advocates. So get behind these boys, make sure you show them some support and love. And if you're online, go and check out their debut EP, which is out there on Bandcamp and iTunes and all of that jazz. That song, Detachment, you can find on our website and social medias. And we also got this week, ERA have announced their new album will be called Neon. It's coming out August 10th on Sumerian Records, and they unleashed their first song off the album. This is progressive metal, as we expect. It's it's good. It's not quite breaking any boundaries yet. I will hold off my opinion when I hear the full album. They're a band that have always done some really interesting things. They've always got that feeling of periphery and volumes. They're kind of in that genty progressive sound, but then they almost can go very heavy, but then they can go very radio sounding. So interesting song. Like I said, not a lot to it. You kind of know what you're getting as soon as it starts, but excited for this album and what it may contain for this band. I think this could be the album that they're taking a big step with. All that information on that album and that music video can be found on our website and social medias. So that's it for all the Mosh news this week. Of course, as always, make sure you've subscribed and you're visiting our website on a regular basis. The website is www.themoshzone.com. Make sure you're going there. You'll be prompted with entering your email address. If you enter your email address, you get email notifications whenever a new article is uploaded, whenever a new podcast is uploaded. You are constantly kept in the loop, so you are always on top of the game and you can read those articles as soon as they're published. Also, don't forget to like and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And all of those are at The Mosh Zone. So it's now time for Mosh Reviews. Now, first up this week is the new album by Orange Goblin called The Wolf Bites Back, out now on Spine Farm Records. Now, Orange Goblin are from the UK and they've been going around for a couple of decades now. They're a band that, being honest, I knew the name of but never quite really knew the music itself. After listening to this album, I was really surprised at why I hadn't given these guys a go. I'm really into this album. While it's not breaking any barriers and it's not really revolutionary, what they do is really fun and really gets you going. And now because of that, I'm definitely delving into their discography. Now, this is their first album in four years. So Orange Goblin have definitely gone away, taken time on this album. And because of that, they've trimmed a lot of the fat. They've got rid of a lot of wasteful elements that could have come into play on their songs and this album. Now, what do they sound like? What do Orange Goblin sound like? Put it simply, it is Clutch with Black Label Society on steroids. Now, what that means is it's got a southerny feel to it. It is riffage upon riffage upon riffage. It's drinking music. It's 
riding your motorcycle music. It is getting in your car and just putting your foot down, windows down, stereo up, just enjoying your fucking self. This music gets your blood boiling. It makes your head bop along. And throughout, you're having a great time. A big thing, like I said, is riffs. This band know how to write a riff and they know how to write dynamics around riffs. Some riffage in this style of music can become a bit laboured, can become a bit repetitive, but one thing that Orange Goblin do is they know how to mix it up so that when you think you know where that riff's going, it changes up in the dynamics, it changes up with the lead progression, and it keeps you entertained. Vocally, I was worried it was going to get a bit boring, but it's not at all. It's got a growl to it, it's very southerny very motorhead feeling at times as well and motorhead is definitely an influence on this band along with black label society and clutch really enjoyed this album the only negative like i said earlier in the piece is it isn't breaking any ground so if you're expecting something that's next level if you're expecting something that's pushing the boundaries you're probably going to be a bit disappointed but if you go in wanting a good time wanting to bang your head wanting to enjoy the riff and something to listen to while you spark up the barbecue and smash a few drinks, this is your perfect soundtrack. Really, really enjoyed it and really excited to go back into this band. I think if you haven't heard Orange Goblin before, this album is the perfect way to start and it will definitely feed your feeling for getting to know this band more. They're apparently a bearded bunch. They really enjoy their good times and such a good fucking album. Really enjoyed it. The album I'm talking about is The Wolf Bites Back. It is by Orange Goblin. It is out now. And I do give it an 8.5 out of 10. Next album up for review is the new album by High Tension called Purge. And it is out now on Cooking Vinyl Records. High Tension are from Melbourne, Australia, and they're an interesting four-piece who kind of mix an element of sludge, crust, punk, and metal into their sound. High Tension have been one of the outstanding underground bands going on over the last few years. Purge is their third album. They have had the ability over their last few albums to really kind of play some different sounds and overall tones on those albums. Bully, their last album, was very punk. Their first album, Death Beat, was very sludgy, very doomy. And what they've done here on Purge is take those elements and then revved it up to 11. They've added more of a metal sound, more of a thrashy sound. The grooves have got bigger the element of creativity and their songwriting skills have just been honed to perfection on this album. High Tension are one of those bands that the underground have always loved and the critics are slowly warming to them and I think this album Purge is going to really make something of this band. I think you're going to be very hard to not know about this band and album this year. What do they sound like? I mean, I've said that there's quite a few different elements of genres and styles going on here, but I'd say really it's kind of like Mastodon with Baroness, with High on Fire, with The Sword. 
And then also at times Chelsea Wolf. There's so much going on here and it's jaw-dropping the songwriting and songs. It's gritty yet stunning and clean and melodic. It's doomy and atmospheric. It's bellowing. It's grim. It's so well done and... I didn't know what to think of when I first went in. I was like, oh, he's another one of these much-hyped bands. Not really sure what I'll think. I came away going, fuck, wow. This band are going to get noticed overseas as well as Australia. Another reason they're going to get noticed is because of lead singer Karina Otomo. She has a very progressive, very raw vocal delivery and her lyrics are very personal very emotional now you throw in that raw abrasive screaming of hers on top of this razor sharp guitar work this doomy crusty bass feel and then this drumming that is hammering and phenomenally played percussion it all just comes together they've really outdone themselves on this album and I just I don't really know what else to say but it's really really good and really really stunning sometimes a band like this might get overlooked because there's a bit too much of the doom sound or the sludge or the atmosphere going on here but I think with this album why it's different with the others is because of that element of thrash, that element of metallic sounds they've incorporated will make it a lot more accessible to an outside ear. I think if you are wanting to find something that's underground but it's on its way up, this is the way to go. I think Australia needs a band like High Tension going on right now. We've got Overseas, we've got bands like Venom Prison and Employment to Serve that are going above and beyond in their local scenes and internationally. And finally, Australia has a band that it can say, we do the same, and that is High Tension. Fucking phenomenal album, really good, and the heavy music scene needs to back these guys and back them now. I don't know what else to say, but it's astonishing, it's ferocious, it's heavy, and it's beautiful, and you need to get this into your collection. The album I am talking about is Purge. It is by High Tension. It is out now, and we give it a 9 out of 10. Our last album up for review this week is the new album by Madball called For The Cause, out now on Nuclear Blast Records. Now... If you don't know who Manball are, I'd be very surprised. They're one of New York City's pioneers of the hardcore punk rock game. They've been going for 25 years and they've had nine albums so far. So what does the new album For The Cause deliver? It delivers what you expect. Don't get it twisted. There's nothing weird here. There's no ballads. There's no jazz-infused riffs. This is Manball. There's all the scruffiness and grittiness that you expect. There's all the power chord riffage. There's the halftime breakdowns. There's the two-step mosh pit moments. There's lyrics that are snappy and bitey. And there's gang vocals aplenty. This is Madball on top of their game. This album was recorded with the assistance of Tim Armstrong of Rancid fame and that punk rock 
element that he is very well known for has found its way into their sound more than it has on the last few albums. And that's not a bad thing. There is very much a punk rock vibe going on throughout here, but they still stick to their hardcore roots. Those two sounds can go together very well and it seems to just naturally fit with Madball. There is a lot of big hooks, big anthem feeling moments on this album and it's something that Madball have always been able to do and they've done it again on this album. There's a lot of the oi moments, there's a lot of the chanting moments. This album is very much what Madball do which is it's from the streets It represents the streets. It's for the hardworking man and woman. And it's about rising above and never getting knocked down. You can take comfort in this album knowing that Madball have issued another slice of musical concrete for their collection. The album does what you expect. And as simple as that might sound, that's great. It is what you want. I think some bands that get this far into their career are worried that they're going to stick to their formula. And I'm so glad Madball have stuck to their formula and haven't been worried about it. If you have to give it a negative, it is that in this style and in this kind of music, some songs can start to blend into each other. So some songs start sounding very similar. But that's if you're really nitpicking. Will this be considered... A classic for Madball? I think it will. I think this is very, very good. This far exceeded my expectations. And to be honest, when you go into a band that you love, like myself, from a band like Madball, you get worried that it's going to disappoint. You get worried that they're going to fall off their game. Madball haven't. So if you like your punk rock, if you like your hardcore, get into this. If you like hardcore but you've yet to delve into where it all started and came from, give this album a chance. It'll be the perfect opportunity to then delve into Madball's back catalogue. If you're a casual fan, you might want to put it on, give it a spin. I think there's something there for everyone in that. If you don't like hardcore, if you don't like punk, I don't think you're going to want this at all. But that's your decision. The album I am talking about is For The Cause. It is by Madball. It is out now on Nuclear Blast. And we do give it an 8.5 out of 10. So that's it for Mosh Reviews this week. We are done with those for the week. Now, of course, if you'd like to get in touch and let us know an album that's coming out we might have missed, send us an email, hit us up on social media, or hit us up via the website. If you're in a band and you want your album or EP reviewed, hit us up on the email, hit us up on the website, or hit us up on our social medias. Now, of course, our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our email is themoshzone at gmail.com. And our social medias are all at themoshzone. Get in touch. Send us some feedback. Send us some music you want reviewed. Let's grow this Mosh Zone community. So it's now time for that part of the show that we do, and it's called Mosh Interviews. This week we sit down for a chat with Sean of Make Them Suffer, and thank you, Sean, for taking time out for the Mosh Zone. Great chat, 
great dude. It was an awesome opportunity to delve into all about himself, his upbringing, about Make Them Suffer, how they got started, about the, how the band went over the years, and about what's on the horizons for the guys. Thank you again, Sean. I really, really appreciated it. It meant a lot to me and the show that you were able to give time to us. That chat with Sean is coming up now. You know, what age were you when you kind of discovered music or really started to pay attention to music? Oh, that's tricky. I think if I, my family sort of was moving around quite a bit. And um, for a couple of years, like when I was maybe between the ages of four and seven, somewhere around there, um, I was actually living in Hawaii. Oh, wow. Um on the, on the island of Maui. And, um, yeah, I think my first memory of music was probably, um, like watching a live performance at, uh, yeah, some sort of event or something like that. And there were, you know, there was a dude singing with a ukulele and like a luau and all that sort of stuff. So that was, um, probably my earliest memory, but the first time I remember actually, um, finding an artist and really enjoying it was, uh, I think I was like maybe eight or nine years old and um, I stumbled across um, Roy Orbison's Greatest Hits, (laughs) which is a bit of an unlikely (laughs) thing. But yeah, um, just absolutely, yeah, I don't know. Roy Orbison's such a a sweetheart, such a timeless (laughs) classic, I guess. I don't know. Um, Yeah, that was – and I just always thought it was so cool. I was just – because on the front cover, it's just one of those album covers that's, you know, the greatest of – uh, all the essential royals, you know, all those greatest hits from through a lot of those classic artists like Bob Dylan and stuff like that. It's just the essential. Uh, it's got like and the it yellow trim to it or something. He was putting on those classic Ray-Ban sunnies, um, and I was like, pretty. I, I remember finding it pretty interesting that uh, that the guy was blind, and uh, you know, he wore the, the Ray-Bans and stuff. Like that. I thought it was cool that he could like play and sing, and um, yeah, somehow it felt like it came more from the heart with him because he was blind. I don't know. Yeah. Just something that's probably, probably the first um, album I remember listening to and really enjoying. (laughs) So did you grow up in a musical household or? Um, Yes. No. Like uh, uh, my dad's been a hack mandolin player for (laughs) the majority of his life, but I don't think he's ever been able to, uh, he's got like really stumpy fingers. He's he's not the most musical guy either. Um, like the way that you know when I have conversations with him about music and stuff like that, his understanding of what's actually going on is 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 very basic. Like a lot of songs and stuff like that, you know, he went even to the point of not being able to, to distinguish instruments and things like that. Hmm. Um, but um, he's 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 definitely like he likes he loves to have a jam. You know, he'll just be like, oh. You know, he'll just he'll just give me a four a four chord song, and I'll pull out the acoustic, and we'll have a jam together. Like whenever I go over his house or whatever, we'll just sing some, I don't know, John Lennon or some some old <laughs> old classic song, um, and that's usually pretty fun. Um, my mum she tried the um, nylon guitar. Oh wow! But she yeah she didn't. Uh, I don't know. I think yeah I can't remember. She just apparently she lost interest. Um, yeah, and my but my granddad supposedly was like this amazing um, violinist, but I, I never got to hear him unfortunately. And apparently, like 
we used to have the old family farm um, out in the wheat belt. And um, apparently, like, someone stumbled across these old tape recordings that sound, you know, they're so, like these dusty old tapes and they're going in and out of tune. And apparently, like, it's this recording of, of my granddad um, playing violin. Wow. And apparently, it's really beautiful. But then then um, I think someone messed up. And it was this year, this year actually we found those tapes, and then apparently someone messed up and has like recorded over them. No. Oh. So I know it's horrible. So yeah, there's there's that, but I mean I'll just take everyone's word for it and assume he was very talented. But yeah, I mean I you know I'm like everyone I sort of played piano for a bit in my youth um, for a couple of years there. And then um, did you then, decide yeah. that piano wasn't you know cool anymore? I mean. <laughs> Oh, it's just like one of those things, you know, you know, I don't know, my, my, my parents had me in a lot of like extracurricular activities as a kid. Mm. Like I, I got to be like a, I don't know, a brown belt or something in judo and then I was doing piano and I even did like um, Cub Scouts or whatever, like Boy Scouts for, oh, wow. <laughs> for a bit and I really, I didn't enjoy that. Um, but yeah, I, basically I was doing a lot of stuff like outside of school. And then, you know, they just kind of like, you know, those things just drop off as you get older, you know, you just lose interest. I think judo was the last to go, but um, piano, I sort of, yeah, got a bit sick of. And then I was, and then I was playing, I was playing drums for a while, um, but I never got any good, especially for how long I was playing. I was playing drums for like four years. So where did the, where did the discovery of heavy music fit into your timeline of growing up? Was it? In your late teens, or was it a bit earlier in your in your youth? Mm, well, yeah, like I mean, in my in my earlier, well, from the ages of my tweens, I guess, like you know, the ages of I don't know, twelve ish, or you know, from ten to oh, not ten, from like eleven to thirteen or fourteen, you know, I was pretty big into like Eminem, mm. and I guess he because he he's like looking back on it, I mean, he was quite. Um, you know, he, he he's like a an emo in his own right in some ways. Like yeah, he was like he was. a very very full of like aggression and angst and like definitely someone for you know angry kids to relate to. Um, which I guess I guess like has a tie in with metal there. But I think after that, um, then I remember Limp Biscuit was probably one of the early ones that I got into, and then Hybrid Theory from Lincoln Park, and then from there. Um, I think a bunch of like emo bands and then what really sparked it actually was like <clears throat> I used to play World of Warcraft Ooh, um, yeah. really intensely um, f- from years like 10 to 10 through 12 in my high school so during my graduating year which meant I like sort of like didn't do great at my exams <laughs> <laughs> so excuse I've got a horrible cough <laughs> um, but basically um yeah, so like, um, but then but people used to do these PvP videos, which are like these videos of them fighting like other people in the game. And I was pretty into it. So I was watching like a lot of these videos and the soundtracks to a lot of the videos were like um, everything from like Silverstein to like Soil Work and Children of Bodom and stuff. Like I remember one of them was this, like, this crazy video. Like it was such a cool video, but like the main soundtrack of it was Downfall by Children of Bodom. Oh wow! And like, yeah, and I, and I just like ended up having that song on repeat while I was doing this wow binge, <laughs> and then like um, 
when I yeah, and then it came time for like year twelve exams, and I already knew I wasn't going to do well. But I thought, geez, I like need to stop this addiction. So like, I uninstalled <laughs> WoW. <laughs> wow, that that would have and taken then, quite a bit of a move. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I like, I had to, yeah. So I guess I had to fill, like, after I did the exams and everything, I decided I'd take a gap year. And like during that time, I was already pretty into heavy music, and I was like, what? Well, I decided I like needed to fill that with something. So heavy music was just the answer, I guess. And I'd like been listening to it for a while now. I had a bunch of mates that were also into it, and um, one of my mates. Um, it was like, I guess I decided I was going to have a gap year after finishing high school. And um, one of my mates had just sort of broken up with his previous band that I used to really enjoy, this old band called For the Buried. And they were like some like pig squealy, super like early job for cowboy <laughs> basement <laughs> deathcore band. Um, and But I was I was really into it and stuff. I mean, that was, that was what was happening at the time. And then, yeah, I just like... Yeah, I remember. Oh, he changed his because I used to have an have him on MSN Messenger. Oh, old school. And back then, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so back then, when you were in a band, um, you would have like your name and then the initials of your um, band in your name, sort of thing. He changed his MSN name to Chris, and it had like MTS in brackets after his name. So I just ended up inquiring. I was like, hey, what happened with, um, you know, For the Buried, the old band? And then he explained that. And I was like, oh, so what's MTS? And he said, oh, it um, stands for mild tomato sauce. And I was like, oh, yeah, whatever, mate. <laughs> but, like, eventually, like, uh, he ended up making a MySpace profile for this band, Make Them Suffer. And it was just, like, him and, like, two other guys, I want to say, um, at the time. And then... Um, yeah, I was like, oh, uh, it said it said looking for a vocalist basically, and they were like trialing all these people. So I tried to um, join, and then I was, uh, yeah, I, I sent them like so they had this like an instrumental track sort of thing that people were laying vocals over, and um, like I sent in uh, like an attempt, and basically he said that everyone else hated it, but he was like, oh, just just try again, like you'll. Um, <laughs> Like maybe they'll like it a second time or something like that. Ooh. And I sent it through, and this time I had all the pig squeals in it and stuff like that. And he was like, "Ah, <laughs> oh, this is no good, dude." Like, and and the guys aren't going to like it either. Take out the pig squeals and do more lows. And there's so I sent it through a third time. But apparently by this stage, like all the other guys were like, "Dude, stop sending us, um, stop sending us like tryouts from this guy. He sucks." Oh. Um. So they they were all they were all sick of me. So he told me to like do it completely differently, get rid of all the highs that were in there initially and just do low growls and no pig squeals or anything like that. And I sent that through and then he ended up, um, he gave it to them and ended up saying that it was a new guy and that it wasn't me. Oh. And they're like, yeah, this guy's sick. And then when, um, when he got me in, he was like, yeah, this is the same guy. And then I felt pretty stupid. But... <laughs> so where, where <laughs> but that's, did you that's, that's, yeah. get the ability to start screaming? I mean, did you just, were you spending time just practicing at home? I mean, because it takes a lot to just suddenly go, right, I'm going to be a vocalist and I'm going to scream. So how did you learn? Yeah. Um, I think I was just like, uh, yeah, I used to actually... Um, I guess towards the, I guess in my last year of high school or second or last two years, maybe, um, yeah, I just started, you know, I, I, I just had this idea that I 
you know, I felt, you know, when you're that age, you feel like everything, you're under so much pressure and everything's on a timeline and like, I've only got X amount of time to succeed. And so therefore Mm. I was like, well, I don't have enough time in my life to get good at guitar and succeed at that. And I didn't really enjoy playing drums and I didn't really want to play bass. So I was like, well, I guess learning vocals is probably the least, like it's, you know, it still takes a while to kind of be able to perform as a vocalist, but I, I think the learning curve is not quite as steep as, as learning an instrument like guitar, you know, where you can spend a whole lifetime mastering it, whereas vocals, I think it's like, you know, you can kind of get it in two years or so, mm. I feel, like it, to a point of being able to, you know, perform your first couple gigs and stuff like that. And how was so, it How was it with the band now you've joined them? Um, yeah. And they're finally, I mean, how was it initially? Did you feel a bit, I mean, that would feel weird, them saying, all right, just, let, you know, fuck this dude off. He's annoying. And then finally yeah. finally they go, oh, okay, yep, you're in the band. Was there any animosity at the start? Any weird feelings? Um, well, I, I mean, Chris was uh, always, like, my best mate, and he still is one of my um, closest friends. I usually see him, you know, on a bi-weekly basis sort of thing. We'll catch up on Sundays for a coffee or something. Um, the other guys... Uh, yeah, I had I had a couple of disagreements with like our first keyboardist, this bloke Win, um, and like uh, I think we're all cool now. But, I mean, I haven't heard from him in years and stuff like that. But definitely he he didn't he didn't like me. I don't think, and um, he I think he felt threatened as if I was, you know. I think he he always pictured MTS as his thing with Chris and then I think Chris started becoming really good friends with me and I think he got a bit jealous and sort of started trying to edge me out. I mean, were um, you all the same then, age? Yeah. Well, I beg your pardon, sorry? Were you all the same age at that time? No, he was he was a year older, older so oh, I think okay. at this at this stage, you know, he was sort of like 20, 21 uh, and yeah. I was, um, yeah, maybe, oh, I, no, I think he was two years, so I was 18, 19 or something like that, yeah. Now, now you first thing you guys did was, I mean, it's I think you classified an EP, but some people say it was a demo, and that was the self-titled um, EP, make them yeah, suffer. Yeah. Um, what was that like at the time? Had you guys been gigging locally? I mean, did you kind of think anything of it? Was it just a case of we've got to get something out there to get shows, or what was it like at that stage of the band? Um, yeah, I suppose it was like, we felt like, you know, our first show was actually quite successful. I mean, we opened up for, funnily enough, um, our guitarist now, Nick, he used to play in a local band called Arturo Chaos. Oh, yeah. And it was their their headlining EP launch. So we opened that as our first show. Um, and then like, but people already like a lot of people turned up at the start of the gig. Like a lot of people turned up at the very start of the gig and then left like right after our set. We only had like a 20 minute set. So it was quite a statement at the time. Um, just, and that was purely because of like the effort that, that we'd put into promoting our MySpace and like songs on the internet and stuff like that, basically just the songs we put online. Um, but then I think like in order to get some of the like support, uh, you know, internationals and stuff when they, when they would come over and get on some of the biggest local shows. Um, I think we just decided that we needed to put 
our songs, I guess, on a, on, a, on a release of some sort. And this was not under a label or anything like that. Like, we literally took this down to... Yeah, we literally took this down to, oh, I don't know, like, disc something or other and just, like, printed, like, 200 demos and sold them out of the car park at, at HQ, our local skate park, which is where we used to perform. And, yeah, I remember going up to some of the old um, booking agencies to put on some of those shows, like uh, Adam Mossman, who ran Annihilate Music at the time, um, and uh, he used to put on some pretty wicked shows. And I remember, like, going up to him and when he was standing at the door at HQ, like, um, letting people in sort of thing and giving him the demo and shaking his hand and trying to, trying to like, I don't know, get on bills there. But, um, yeah, I guess that was the main point, was, like, something to be able to, like, show people and, like, booking agents and, things like that that were and promoters that were going to be able to actually put us on shows and be able to get somewhere with it as well as like you know just something for people to have in their hands we'd, we'd only been gigging for uh i want to uh, probably like 10 months when we put that out oh wow okay so, yeah yeah and then the next thing that you guys did that i mean this is when i feel like you started to gain a um, bit more of a notice was the lord of yeah. woe ep um, that was still very much, I mean, you guys, everyone hates labels and tags and genre names, but that was still, you guys were very deathcore still at yeah. that time. Yeah. Um, and this, we were noticing, cause at the time I was in Melbourne, suddenly you guys were, you know, being, becoming a name, becoming readily spoken about. Is this when you guys felt like you were gaining some momentum behind Lord of Woe? Um, well, we definitely f- felt like it was a big step up musically for us. Um, we had like a, a, a bunch of lineup changes and stuff like that by this stage. This was like, I guess you could call it like the next chapter for the band, really. Mm. Um, thing is, is like we had, a, we had a booking agent that was getting our shows on the East Coast and stuff like that, and we did play some disastrous ones and some horrible tours and floor shows and all that sort of stuff. Um, but basically, you know, the mindset of a young band, especially back then, was, you know, we didn't have any interest from any labels and we'd sent out press kits and, like, tried to get managers and all kinds of stuff and just, like, no one, had, no one was having a bar of it. So we... Um, I think 10, 10 months or a year into the, which isn't that long, but you know, in, in the mind of a, a young, young guy, like a young musician, I suppose it feels like a lifetime. Mm. We, we, it was pretty much radio silence for us. So, you know, we very much considered just throwing in the towel at that point when, it, you know, we'd done, we'd been over East maybe once or twice and, um, you know, we put out this EP and had received no interest from a label. It was like, you know, time was ticking at that point. You know, maybe need to start thinking about doing something else in life. <laughs> and so, then, um, so yeah, was and then, it, was it and then at that point, um, Roadrunner Records hit us up, and like things started becoming a bit more real. And I think that's when people got pretty serious about the whole project. Well, that was the thing. It, it felt like, <coughs> I mean, you guys became a bit known, and then it kind of felt like it was two years until you know the debut full length um never bloom but it kind of felt like you guys dropped off the planet you kind of disappeared almost um it felt like and were you guys knuckling down to create that album was that really what was going on or was it you know reevaluating if this is what you want to do yeah well it was it was a bit of 
a bit of both of those things, really. I mean, you know, when we heard the news about the, I think that I think that actually sparked, you know, everyone's interest a bit more. And I think we tried to get over East one more time or something like that at that stage. But yeah, basically, it was just, you know, we, you can imagine, especially coming from Perth, putting out an EP and like booking your own shows over there or playing, you know, you know, spending all this money on flights to just kind of like play a, a couple of floor shows here and there. It's just so disheartening. Yeah. It is, it's, it's so disheartening. I can't say that enough. Like, you know, we, we, we were pushing at one stage, you know, we were catching, we were taking all our gear onto ferries and pushing our gear around in shopping trolleys <laughs> and catching coaches, uh, like far North and, you know, way too far, like 14 hour coach rides with all our gear underneath this coach um and you know just coming back from that and like barely being like i remember we were homeless one night we were literally homeless jesus we um we got to i think it was rockhampton and we couldn't afford to pay for a backpackers um and the coach got in at 12 midnight or something like that i think we sat in a mcdonald's for like five hours and then just kind of stumbled through the town and found our way to a backpackers. I think we spoke with someone or spoke, yeah, spoke with one of the staff members. And then when they reopened in the morning at 10, I think they just kind of let us in out of pity. <laughs> but I mean, you know, that's what we were doing. So yeah, you can imagine you get back from one of those sort of tours and you're very disheartened. And I think we were, so we didn't want to really keep going at that stage. Um, just the amount of money that was, that we're hemorrhaging as well like for those east coast tours like people don't understand how hard it is coming from perth like that was the steepest mountain that we've had to climb really if i look back on it yeah it's not easy to get to and it's not easy to go from it's very much secluded it's almost like you're completely in a different country in australia in terms of things yeah i mean it's the equivalent of um you know, bands that are from Tasmania. I mean, I think that sounds pretty no, tricky as well. Yeah. I think I think the flights from Perth are actually more expensive there. So. Yeah, well, yeah. someone said it's more expensive to fly to Perth than it is to fly to Indonesia. So oh, well, there you go. There you go. Yeah. It says it says that the stumbling blocks you guys have had. Um, and you were saying, you mentioned you you know you got onto Roadrunner. How did how did that happen? Like you were hunting around. You were saying, and nobody's you know even saying yeah you're interesting and then bang you're on roadrunner ah well um i mean chris was handling the emails at the time um and yeah i just i, I don't remember like because I, I, I just remember I, I was starting to go a bit crazy with it all. i was like hitting him up all the time like hey did you hear back from these guys and then he was like yeah no dice yeah did you hear back from these guys and basically yeah and no one was interested and apparently he hadn't even – oh, no. He'd made us an account on this website called Sign Me to Roadrunner or something like that. But that's not, that's not how they found I, – I, I don't even remember how they found us. I think we'd hired some PR company, and this guy, Darren Cherry, who was the A&R from Roadrunner at the time, had got sort of our EP um, on his desk. And I think – I guess he liked the artwork or something, and he gave it a spin and then um, sent us an email about it. Um, we hadn't actually sent them a, a press kit directly as such or anything like that. Just one of these PR companies would 
hired like third party PR had had sent our EP in. No. Oh. And um yeah, and we were we were pretty stoked actually. Like uh, we went to um yeah he came, he came over to Perth. I think he was checking out another Perth band at the time, um a potential signing for them. And um you know he made an effort to uh you know we had a coffee and stuff and and discussed it and basically told us he was interested. I'll, I'll never forget he was like. So he's like this big burly dude with dreads, like rocks. And we were thinking like, oh, he's going to be full metal. And because st- at the time there was quite still like a divide between metal and hardcore. I don't think metal, like metalcore, you know, there was still like metal elitists that would yeah. sort of hate metalcore and stuff like that. And we, 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 we knew a lot of people like that in Perth because we were also sort of part of the death metal scene, I guess. And so we were like, oh, this guy looks like so metal. And he did, and then he rocked up in a D's Nuts shirt, and then we were like, oh, it's okay. <laughs> and then he was like, I, I remember him saying, like, um, as, as soon as he sat down, he's like, everyone got a beer, and then he sits down and he just goes, right, so obviously I've listened to your EP relentlessly. <laughs> and we were just like, yes. <laughs> yeah, and um, that was a really cool moment for us, I think, like, uh, that's just the one thing that everyone remembers for whatever reason. But yeah, from there it was it was all pretty exciting, and then just signing all the papers and getting all that dealt with. Um, yeah, I think everyone's spirits were kind of lifted after that. And that album did did really well um, in Australia and overseas, but on the Aria charts as well. Suddenly, you guys, you know, you cracked the hundred. You were at like fifty five or fifty six on the Arias. Um, yeah, yeah, and and you had I, I couldn't tell the exact number, but yeah, <laughs> and you had songs like "Elegies" was like massively, you know, everywhere. It felt like you know the the video clip. Um, mm-hmm. It was definitely an album that I think you guys suddenly cemented your name as um, you were someone to be recognised with in Australia. Um, did you guys you, you started getting bigger shows, but did you guys feel like you were starting to possibly make a career out of this off that album? Um, because it was massive. Well, it was huge. Yeah, I mean, we we were. I don't know. We were so kind of disheartened by the whole thing, actually, because of how oh. much time we put into the album, and um, our booking. I don't want to like name names or anything like that but you know our booking agent at the time basically we were watching all these other bands um that were kind of like on equal footing to us basically surpass us and get like better tours better opportunities all this sort of stuff like that was the main thing is like we couldn't our booking agent couldn't at the time get us good tours for whatever reason we were we played a couple like i think we supported bleeding through was probably like our best one yeah that was their farewell Um, tour i think yeah, and, mm. th- and that was a good tour, you know, but there was a lot of sort of mediocre ones as well, like com- comparatively to, I guess, what other bands of our level or what we felt our level was were doing at the time sort of thing. So I think it took us a while to actually get the wheels in motion there. The second part of it was that it was at this stage that we started to realise that, um, yeah, perhaps some of the paperwork that we'd signed um in the past was not in our best interest and it may make it uh relatively speaking like a lot harder to for us to kind of turn it into a career uh, so a lot of people st- started getting disheartened about that sort of stuff as well the business side of things and um 
yeah, I don't know. I think I think with that album, like we felt that it was a very solid album, and we just felt like it never really took us to where I guess we wanted it to. But I mean, I think that's the thing with with being a band or just in music in general. Like, very rarely does it meet your expectations. You know, as a as a musician or as as someone that plays in a band or whatever, you know, the music you write, like you write that music. So therefore you're your biggest fan. So you're going to have the highest regard of your music. Like I'm like, I'm without a doubt, make myself as biggest fan in the world. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. cause it's my, it's my music. I wrote it. It's like a piece of me sort of thing. So I think I'm, I'm always like, no, why aren't we bigger? Why don't we? You know, it just, yeah. To, to, you know, I always, I always think about that sort of stuff and just kind of wish that things were going better. But I mean, the, yeah, I think that's, that's, the, that's the thing as well with the industry as well as like you'll get a tour, you know, you'll get a tour that you were dreaming about a year or two ago, but then by the time that comes around, you're already like, ah, oh, yeah, of course we can do that. You know, what's what's next? <laughs> well, I think I think <laughs> so, those internal thoughts and pressures and expectations are healthy. I think if you didn't have that, I think that's when you'd start maybe going, ah, oh, there's something wrong here. Um, yeah. You, yeah, no, definitely. You rolled from Neverbloom into Old Souls. Now, yeah. you were still on Roadrunner at the time, am I correct, mm-hmm. with that one? Now, yeah, that album, it seemed it seemed like that's, from a, from what I could see, it's it seemed like that's when things started, you know, unravelling a little bit for the band. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah. Um, Old Souls for me is like... It's an odd album because I think. Sorry, I am. I'm just grinding some coffee beans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's an odd album. I think because in in some ways, like I think I think I think the songs on it are good. In, in a lot of ways, maybe some of the songs are actually better than songs on Never Bloom. But it, the way the album came together was. It was too many. It was it was just a case of too many cooks in the kitchen. I think. Okay. And was everyone it a... was trying to con- everyone was trying to contribute. Um, our main songwriter at the time, Chris. Yeah, he was he was writing a lot of the sort of skeleton guitars, I suppose. Um, uh, for like you know, he did a lot of the Neverbloom stuff, and he was becoming. Um, he was going through. He, he was having a a personal. Yeah, he had personal stuff going on in his life at the time and was able to contribute less. Um, and so Monty, our guitarist Monty, I think he had a, a song on there. But um, he was always, you know, it was basically, and, and Nick as well, um, he, you know, Nick and Monty were collaborating on a lot of stuff together. Nick Nick had a song in there, I believe, or something. But um, basically it was just... <laughs> trying to get everyone to work together and be on the same page and not have people compete over whose songs were going to make the cut was like a really big thing. So I just, I could see this writing process just taking a turn for the worst. And basically I just said, well, look, you guys work with Roland on, on whatever you need to do. And I'm going to take my um, vocal tracking elsewhere and do that in a separate studio because or else we're not going to have enough. Because vocal tracking does probably take the longest time to track out of yeah. any other instrument in the studio. So, um, yeah, so I just thought I would bang that out while um, everyone else can 
work like you know butt heads over who's going to get what songs and that sort of thing i mean um, the, the sound on that album's a bit different too you started the band started to you know the word probably it's not the perfect word but it would be you guys started to mature um was that something yeah. intentional you guys were starting to no not surprisingly try and show that you weren't just a breakdown deathcore band um you're starting to branch out a bit. Was that something you aimed? Yeah. Um, well, I, yeah. It's funny because I, I think that yes, we were, mm. we were definitely trying to kind of spread our wings in some sense that you know we weren't just going to be like doing blast beats and breakdowns for the rest of our career because I think that's how a lot of people had labelled us. Yeah. Um, but to the same effect, I don't know if mature is the right word in this particular circumstance because i think you know we well uh some some of the songs are pretty interesting but then a lot of the songs while we 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 just kind of move from deathcore into a more metalcore realm and so i think that's not necessarily maturing so much as just experimenting and trying different things i mean old souls for me was just definitely a big experimentation like we had lots of different um, producers mixing different songs. And so if you go through the album and you listen to it, like one track will sound completely different in its production to like another. And that's just because we had, we were trying out a couple of different styles, trying out a couple of different mixes and um, music, musical styles as well. And just kind of really working out what worked for us. Uh, we didn't, we weren't, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. That, that was just a, a, a byproduct as well of, you know, having too many cooks in the kitchen and then everyone having these conversations and no one could agree on who to mix. And, yeah, it just kind of ended up being a bit of a mess, but it's like it's a happy mess, you know. It's not like hmm. it's not like the worst uh, record in the world. I guess for me it's just remembering the process behind it is, um, yeah, it's well, not, the, not the best memories, not the, not my best um, time in the studio, that's for sure. <laughs> and that album, it, it went even better on the charts. That's the other side of it, though. Um, yeah, no, it did. I mean, we'd grown by that stage, and, um, yeah, we'd grown by that stage. We'd, um, I think we were doing we – we sort of took the um, PR side of things away from the label and just said, hey, we're going to do our own – um, you guys don't worry about that side of the budget and stuff, and we're going to try and promote this thing ourselves. Um, we had a new manager, um, Adrian Kelly, who's still with us today. And um, he's, he's he, 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 I think, was like the missing piece to the puzzle in the sense that, you know, our biggest issue, I feel, in terms of our growth was always not being able to get tours. And that's kind of the spot that Adrian has filled for us now, is actually being able to put us on these these uh, international tours that you know we'd always seen and kind of been upset that we were never able to get on well, so yeah been, and, that, and now i think that you know being able to tour and stuff like that definitely helped um yeah promote the record um yeah well, you beat me to a part of that question there was around that time it was becoming spotted quite a bit that you guys were you know there was a few tours you were getting offered i believe that you you got on and then you couldn't do them and they were either America or Europe and these kind of things. Um, mm. And there was constantly a cry out from places like America and Canada for you guys to tour. 
Why did it? Yeah. What was the issue? What took you so long? Was there visa problems? Was it financial problems? Why took so long for you guys to get over there? Um, so in one case, it was um, financial problems. Uh, that was the European tour um, with um, it was the Phantoms tour for Betraying the Martyrs second album in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I just I remember just the way that we had everything planned out and it was just some bad budgeting, I think on our side. And we just kind of got to the time and just went, fuck, we can't afford this anymore. Um, we, after we started, you know, weighing up the costs of, cause it was around the time we were doing our album and everyone had this crazy cooked idea of getting all these different producers and stuff like that. And I think we just had hemorrhaged like a bunch of money for no reason, just like bad financial decisions at the time. Um, and I was not, that was not my bad, by the way. <laughs> so, <laughs> one of the other members. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, basically we just couldn't afford that tour, and that was pretty. Um, that was yeah, it was it was tough for us. But it was basically that or the album. It came down oh, to it was like shit. yeah. Um, so I, I, I figured you know the album. We I think we all agreed that the album was going to be the best way to kind of like progress the band from that point. Like we did need to get something else out. It had been so long since Never Bloom by this stage. Um, so yeah, we just needed to get more music out essentially. I mean, things were so disorganized back there. Um, the other, the other one was, um, uh, I don't actually remember what the, what the U S tour was, but I remember that it was visa issues. It was, it was ridiculous. Like we applied for these visas like six months in advance. And, but the, I think there was like a lawyer or a company that we were, hiring to like help us with the application process because especially your first time applying for visas it can be quite um like a strenuous sort of task yeah and so this guy was trying to help us and stuff and then it just turned out he just couldn't get the job done and then like yeah it just didn't get done in time and it was crazy because we'd been applying for these things for like six months and we're going what's the issue and it just turned out that it was the guy that we were hiring. As soon as we like changed dues, this ne- the next guy got it done in two months. Yeah, so it was fine. I was just this guy was trying to apply for the wrong visas and all this sort of stuff, and we didn't know any better. I mean, it was our first time, and it is like a lengthy process. We didn't have anyone to help us or anything like that. It was just a learning experience for everyone, I think. It um, was, it, but it's yeah. good that you're now, you know, doing Europe and you're doing America. So it's obviously the right path you're on now. So it's um obviously going yeah. well yeah like our main concern was just like we didn't want to be known as like that band that just like books tours and bails on them no it, it was no. totally out of our, well it was you know the second one the visa thing well it, it wasn't out of our control but you know for someone for, for a band like just learning the ropes i suppose we just yeah well you've learned learned yeah. and grown from it that's the main thing so yeah exactly yeah now rolling on from old souls um, bang, Worlds Apart's on us, and this album, you're on Rise Records, so this one's a bit of a double question, so you're on Rise Records, how did that come about, was it time to change, but the other question that links in with that is, this felt like the biggest lineup change you guys have gone through, I know there'd been members here and there, but suddenly mm. your closest friend, Chris Leaves, uh, Lachlan leaves and Louisa left and then Tim mm-hmm. left as well. So it's pretty much kind of like just you nearly and um, kind of sitting there. So yeah. 
Take us through whatever well, you want to do first. It was be- it's it's me and Nick as well. So Nick's yes. been with us since um, just after the EP, mm. um, and you know he 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 did have a part in the writing process in Never Bloom as well. Um, but basically, yeah, um, I think it got to that point, and and the thing is, we were still under a contract that would basically, I don't know, as far as everyone could see, um, it was just like going to be so hard for us to kind of like turn turn it into a career for, for us, for ourselves. Mm. So a lot of people were disheartened. Um, there was uh, a couple, like a lot of conflict within the band. I think everyone was getting kind of sick of each other from from touring and stuff like that. Um, you know, I think I think Tim sort of actually stepped away himself. I think he just felt like he was the, – the, the pressure started to build when we started getting these bigger tours, and I think he just felt like he was underperforming. So I think he kind of – um, stepped away at that point. I mean, he's got a kid and a wife and all that sort of stuff. So home commitments. Um, uh, Monty, I, I, yeah, Monty. Monty was just a case of. I think he just. I think uh, he, he started. He opened a bar, and I think it just that that took his interest. And also with this overshadowing thing of like this contract that we were under, basically, you know. How's how's it going to work with this band anyway? Mm. So I think that's that was like the mindset that a lot of people were under. Like I think Louisa was the same. Like she just finished her degree, but she's trying to, you know, make a career and that and all that sort of stuff in teaching. And she just kind of she met a new partner, and I think she just kind of wanted to like settle down, um, in a, in a way, um, so that like the band obviously not good for that style of life. So yeah, she kind of walked away, and especially knowing that you know she that you know it was going to be very hard to kind of make it a, a living um and then yeah uh chris i mean yeah chris the whole thing is i i'd rather not speak too much about chris's um no that's private life, but essentially he received some very um horrible uh he went through a horrible breakup a horrible breakup which i was there with him um every step of the way and um all i'll say is that it was just it was pretty sick. Like it was pretty kind of like really made you feel uncomfortable what had happened. And then, um, I think the, the, the byproduct of that was that he then received a pretty horrible, um, medical diagnosis. Mm. And, um, he just had to, like, I think it was, you know, the, it's not the healthiest thing in the world to be living out of a car. No. So, yeah, so he so he sort of took off and did his own thing, and at that stage, yeah, pretty much just became, um, yeah, I guess the hat was like passed to me in a way, and um, uh, I think it had, it had already sort of been passed to me actually, but um, like in a bigger way now, I suppose. And then um, Nick Nick really just stepped up to the writing plate, pretty much taking a hundred percent of the responsibility for like guitars on himself um, for Worlds Apart. And then you, did you guys, did you write that album before you drafted in all the guys now that are in the band or was everyone brought in and then you wrote the album? Um, no, nah, I mean, everyone was brought in, <coughs> but I mean, we'd, you know, they weren't, you know, everyone was brought in knowing that, you know, this is, this is Nick's band. This is my band. 
in, in a way, like just, just for this album, you know, we really wanted, you know, I feel like even though Worlds Apart is quite different to the other albums, it still is make them suffer, I yeah. think, in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, Nick and I would, were going to be the only people that would be able to like sort of really carry through that underlying theme of, of being make them suffer. So we wanted to kind of like restrict others in terms of what they could um, contribute to the writing process. But yeah, we started bringing them in just as like we'd take, you know, Jaya like on a tour and see how he went um, through Europe for a month and everyone likes the vibe. And same with Booker, I guess, you know, we sort of tried her out on a European tour. Um, J-Man as well. Yeah. It's just, that's, yeah, we. I mean, we we don't just commit people to the band. You know, it's, we need to know that we can stand them. Yeah, um, well, it's important being locked up in a. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, because it does get like cabin feverish, especially if when you're doing like two or three tours back to back. Um, it gets yeah, it's very tricky. And it but, feels um, like yeah. it feels like you guys have taken your time with it because um, that album sounds seamless. It doesn't seem you know. Like we said, there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with old souls, but there's there's something there that's not right, and I don't know. It's not in the music, but you know, you know, you just get that vibe around it that it wasn't a happy time. Yeah. And worlds apart feels. I mean, I'm I was blown away by it. Um, I'm still listening to it kind of very religiously once a week. A couple of songs get thrown in on my iPod, but um, mm. it, you guys took the sound to another level. Um. Yeah, I wouldn't say you're deathcore. I wouldn't say you're metalcore. I think on this album you're just metal. Um, there's just everything yeah. going on. And did you see the rewards with this album? Because we, we I keep seeing you know you do another American tour, then you do a Europe tour, and then you've got this Australian headline tour coming up, and it seems like things are now moving. Mm. Um, well, I think the biggest sort of thing with this is I feel with Worlds Apart we've kind of solidified our name and like our status like I think we're becoming now we've been around long enough and we've done enough we've written enough songs now that I think like for a lot of younger bands we're actually like quite a respected band in some ways you know like respected musically and things like that and then just and just also for how long we've been kicking around and stuff and then the second part, and then just also just feeling like more of a household name in that sense, um, you know, book, like booking agents and promoters and stuff like that when we're being thrown around as ideas for international tours. You know, people people know who we are. Um, I don't know. There's just a, a bit more, I guess, respect there from, from the industry and stuff like that. Like we feel like more of a legitimate band. I think the moment that we kind of clocked that that was a thing that, like I think we played, we played the show, um, we played Max Watts in Melbourne, and that like sold out, and the capacity there's like 800 or something like that. And you uh, like from from old souls, I think the Melbourne show was like three like 350 mm. in a, a small pub or something like that, and that 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 did well, like that sold out or came close to it. I'm pretty sure. But then, yeah, I don't know when we played that show at Max Watts for the Worlds Apart album tour. Um, things felt kind of real. Like I remember Nick and I got off stage and we were like, ah, oh, we're a, for the first time I feel like a real band now. You know what I mean? Like an actual 
well-respected, well-known band. Mm. Um, so that 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 definitely like came from worlds apart. Um, the other thing was like with old souls, we were slogging tours so hard, like we were touring so much to get out there. And um, now I feel like we can afford to be a little more selective with the tours and take the ones that kind of suit us a little better and just ones you know that work for everyone. I suppose we're not going to be breaking our backs over it, and um, we can kind of just do the tours that we want to do at this stage, which is a bit nicer, I think. Yeah, you you put in the yard, so it's good to finally get to that stage, and yeah. Yeah. Um, only really one more question and then wrap mm. things up. But one of those, before I get to the last question, is I've seen on Instagram that it looks like you're in the studio or it looks like you're tinkering around. Uh, what's mm. going on? Are you, are you guys already doing new stuff or are you working on someone else's project or is there nothing you can say at the moment? Uh, I don't know. We're always like chipping away, really. Um I don't know. We're we're kind of treating the way we write music now a little differently. I think like we're not necessarily. It's not like we'll go in and just focus everything into you know writing ten songs from for an album sort of thing. I think we're just kind of like writing bits and pieces here and there. It's coming together, and then like maybe we'll release a single. Maybe we'll release a second single. I don't know. Ooh. And just kind of like taking our time with that and making sure that, you know, by the time that it is time for like a next full length that yeah, I don't know. I think we, I think we just want to spend more time work, like working on singles with some of the newer members, I think is Mm -hmm. a big part and um, having everyone contribute and collaborate together and kind of ironing out those creases with a couple of singles and then, and then taking that to an album. Ooh. Okay. Exciting. Now, Last question I've got is mm-hmm. about your lyrics and just how it's very personal and introspective and honest. Um, mm. You know, when you started out writing these lyrics and you've always done it, has it ever been a struggle for you? Have you ever felt like maybe I'm saying too much about my life, maybe I'm saying too much about the world um, has it been easy for you to do or has it been hard? Is it something that you've gained um, confidence as you've gone? Um, yeah, that's a tricky one. I mean, it's a bit of both really. Um, sometimes like a, a song like Save Yourself, you know, I can't really listen to that song much these days and it's a t- tough one for me to like listen and go back and reflect on. Um, and I, a part of me does feel like, I, you know, I did put I, I put too much of myself out there at the same time, I think that's what makes like people want to be able to relate to the lyricist or whatever the vocalist. Mm. Um, most of my favorite lyrics would are quite personal. You know, they they give a piece of whoever's writing those lyrics. They give a piece of themselves to it. So I think that's like a very important thing. I mean, part of me still kind of believes in the whole um, tortured artist oh yes amen um, yeah things um yeah but like it can definitely be like pretty painful and i'm usually pretty i'm i'm usually very exhausted at the end of an album process not because of you know how like the sleepless nights of writing the songs but just like the pain of going back and looking through the lyrics and thinking 
fuck, like that's pretty dark. I can't believe that came out of me sort of thing. That can be, that can be pretty tricky sometimes and like really weigh on you and make you question stuff. And a lot of the stuff, cause you don't even think about what you're writing. It just sort of like comes out. And then only months from that, from then or a couple of weeks afterwards, you listen to it and go, holy shit. I did not realize that, you know, I was talking about that. I was specifically talking about that exact thing that was happening at the time. Fuck. But, you know, when you're actually writing it, you don't realize that. It's only when you take the time to go back and reflect and you go, oh, that was all about that thing that happened to me around that time. So, so it's therapeutic. It's interesting, huh? Yeah, it's like, it's like, yeah, it's therapeutic. It's like a, it's a bit of a, yeah, it's, it, it's introspective. It's a bit of a like journey of self-discovery. Like that's the benefit of it is you learn so much about yourself. And um, I think that's, you need to know yourself pretty well in order to better yourself. And I think that's... um that's definitely the biggest positive to take away from me. Well, I think I think fans um, connect with it and can see that. So it's a, it's a big positive to have. Um, you're yeah, not, you're not yeah, singing awesome. fake lyrics. So um, yeah. Now yeah. before we wrap up, my last mm-hmm. segment I do is called "Pick Your Poison." Now, what I'm going to do is I give you two options, and you have to pick one, and you need to imagine that. You have to pick one for the rest of your life, and that's the only one you can have. Okay. Okay. Cool. All right. Yeah, so, sure. some are easy. Is there, is there a couple? Is there a couple of these? Or, oh, so there's a couple. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's quite a few. So some will be easy. Some <laughs> might might challenge you a bit. Okay. So we'll start off yeah. with maybe an easy one: pizza yeah. or burger. Oh, um, yeah, I'd probably have to go burger i mean just purely because there's like some salad in there okay so, okay a bit healthy yeah um now this one depends some people are vegetarian so they can't have this so chicken or beef ah uh, chicken okay. no beef no, oh. definitely beef. oh hang on are you sure on that mm, not really no. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah no i'd probably i'd probably have to get beef yeah okay cinema or on the couch Oh, on the couch, yeah. Okay. Cat or dog? Dog, all the way. Okay. Cooking or takeaway? Mm, cooking. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go with cooking. Yeah. Um, beach or snow? Snow. Okay. I love snowboarding. <laughs> Star Wars or Star Trek? Uh, Star Wars. I don't know enough about Star Trek, so Star Wars for sure. Terminator or Predator? Oh. Oh, like the whole franchise or just the first movies? We'll go off the first because the franchise, both franchises have, you know, gone horrible. Yeah. Damn it. Um, oh, it's, uh, um, this is this one that really has me torn. I'm going to go with Terminator just because, like, you know, oh, I know. Yeah, I, I'll have to go with Terminator. I do like the first Terminator film. I mean, like, I know the second one is the more famous one, but I think there's something like the first one's more of like a thriller or something. It's it's kind of yeah. cool. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Now the roll-on from that one is Sly or Arnie. Oh, Arnie for sure. Okay. I, I haven't even I haven't even seen Rocky, so. Yeah. What? You never never yeah. never watched it once. Nope. Wow. Well, you're not really missing nah, much, well, really. It's... Well, when I when I was young, I remember my parents went like checked into this hotel, and apparently Sylvester Stallone had stayed at this hotel 
like the week before and they were like, oh, how was it? And the hotel staff were apparently like, oh, it was horrible. He was an asshole. Um, and they were like, well, why? And apparently he'd left like a turd in the bathtub <laughs> stuff to clean up. <laughs> but I suppose if you're Sylvester Stallone, you can do whatever. And he's like, oh, you know, he had a horrible upbringing and, and self-made and all that sort of stuff. So power to him. But I just, yeah, I never, I never, I think for that reason, like my parents tried to steer me away from Sylvester Stallone movies. <laughs> well, you haven't missed much in Rocky. It kind of, it says itself what it is. Um, yeah. Now, yeah. next one, this will be a test. Um, <laughs> Undertaker or Kane? So, do you know your wrestling? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, like, I know enough to answer, and the answer would be Undertaker. Okay, now the next one's another movie one. Freddy or Jason? Uh, that's super tricky, man. Mm-hmm. Not um, easy ones. Intentionally. Yeah. Like, uh, I'd probably... I'd, I don't like... I think I prefer Nightmare on Elm Street films, but I think I I like Jason more. I think his storyline's more relatable. Poor guy got bullied and stuff. I, well, I don't really remember actually, but yeah, yeah no, I'll go yeah. with Jason. Jason's a good bloke. Good answer. I like that answer. <laughs> um, now, yeah. last few is Slayer or Pantera? Um, Pantera. Uh, PS4 or Xbox? PS4 for sure. Nice. Touring or recording? Um, recording. And last one is CD or streaming? Mm, well, like honestly, I I listen to well, I don't have any CDs at the moment, and I usually listen to if I do listen to something of hard copy, it would be a vinyl. Ooh. So, and CDs are like. They get all scratched and mm. it's a pain in the a pain in the ass. Like I remember having a Walkman and having to change the disc. I mean that was half the fun though, like flipping through like your CD uh, catalog and choosing a disc that you know you were going to put on for three songs and then ejecting it and putting in the next one. But yeah, and I'm, I'm going to say streaming. Nice. I think streaming is cool. Yeah. Um, that's that's our chat done, dude. Fuck, epic. Um, really, really <laughs> enjoyed it, man. Um, can't. Can't say thank you enough. Uh, just uh, like my pleasure, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Jeremy. So that was my chat with Sean of Make Them Suffer. If you don't know who Make Them Suffer are, what are you doing? Get online. Get some of that music into your fucking ears. Great band. Great dude. Thank you again, Sean. Really, really appreciate it. Of course. Got on our website and social medias, their upcoming tour around Australia. It's all there. Make sure you're getting a ticket if they're hitting your local city. Now, that is The Mosh Zone, episode 22, done for this week. We're all done. We're wrapped. It's in the can. Thank you for listening. So, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. If you're a regular listener, thank you for coming back and listening to me ramble again. Much appreciated. Now, guys, of course, if you've got free time this week and you enjoyed this episode, make sure you tell your friends all about it. Make sure you tell your neighbors. Make sure you tell your mothers. And make sure you share it on your social medias. Help us out. Help us spread the word. The more help we get, the bigger the show can grow. And without your help, it can't grow. 
So anyone sharing it, we do notice it and we are forever grateful and thankful. And also, don't forget the website, socials and our email. The website is www.themoshstone.com. Social medias are all at The Moshstone and the email is themoshstone at gmail.com. Get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you guys again for tuning in. Have a safe week. Open the pitch.